All right, welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. If you're thinking about a pre-owned vehicle right now, Jim K. Ford is your Ottawa-certified pre-owned Ford dealer. They're the place to go. They'll take all the worry out of buying a pre-owned vehicle. Check out a 12-month, 20,000-kilometer limited warranty coverage, vehicle history report, financing rates from 1.99%. That is low. 172-point vehicle inspection, 24-hour roadside assistance, Man, you got to see them today at jimk4.com. They're at 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans. Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. Hi again, everyone. Welcome to our show. As the name might indicate, this is your podcast for all things Ottawa Senators. After a weekend split, the Sens are off to a nice 2-1 start to the season. Since we last spoke, they fell 3-1 in Toronto on Saturday, then a crazy quick turnaround, traveling home for a 5 p.m. game the next day, and hey, they won that game, 3-1 over the Dallas Stars. We'll discuss some of the news from those games, as well as team news. First, let's say hello to the coach, Greg Kennedy. Greg, how was the weekend? Weekend's going well, Steve. I'm, I'm uh, here in Slave Lake, just uh, wrapping up at the rink for the day and about to head home, because of course, I'm two hours difference from you. It's, it's early... Sunday evening for me. Right. No footballs. You just go home straight to bed. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll go okay. home and watch a game. Yeah. I, I watched okay. a little bit of a game today already too. Nice. Yeah. feels like my life right now, Greg, is home maintenance, podcasting, and then playing and watching hockey. Yeah, nothing wrong with that, man. No. There are worse, li- worse, worse lives than that. There's no question <laughs> about that. But we should launch in. And uh, like I say, the Sens come up with a split on the weekend. And before we get to that, though, let's maybe start with Brady Kachuk because he is still so top of mind for everybody, and he's not in the lineup as of yet. There was some talk that maybe, just maybe, DJ Smith would have him in the game against Dallas, but he decided, okay, for the best thing for the player, he's going to hold off and do it on Thursday. So he should be in the lineup Thursday as the San Jose Sharks visit in Ottawa. Is that about the timeline you'd be looking at, Greg? Yeah, that that's within the. I mean, they talked about seven to ten days from when he comes back, and that's that's uh, seven days exactly, isn't it? So that's it uh, is. yeah. I mean, that that's fine. And really, um, they didn't miss him. Uh, you know, I hate to say that, but uh, Stutzel's done a fine job moving up and playing with the in, in the kid line there and the big line up front. And and uh, I've really loved watching that second line with. Uh, with Paul up there in, in what will probably be Stutzler's spot. So they haven't missed him. And rather than risk him coming in too early and pulling a groin or ripping a hammy or something, it's probably the right thing to do, aren't you? Don't you feel the same way? I, I guess I'm just sort of wondering about it because if the goal is to do what's best for the player to kind of avoid that William Nylander effect that DJ Smith witnessed firsthand in Toronto when he was an assistant coach there, is seven days of practice truly enough when – a standard normal training camp is over three weeks. It's 23 days with a bunch of exhibition games in there as well. And so I guess my thought is if you're going to go all in on making sure you take care of your core player who just signed long-term for seven years, would it be the end of the world if he took maybe a couple more, like maybe you know, take a couple more games off before he gets set on this thing. I don't think it's the end of the world. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. seven days still seems like a small window 
if you're thinking more big picture, like you've been talking about with the media all week. Nah, he's ready. Slap the C right. on him. Let's go. <laughs> you wanted him in there the night that he signed. <laughs> That's true, I did. <laughs> yeah, and he's young. I mean, good Lord. He's been working out. And you know, he looks like a tank. They've called yeah. him Frank the Tank. And uh, honestly, he looks like a tank now. I don't know if you saw any of that video, that wonderful video the Sens media team took as Kachuk is making the rounds the night of the first game. Like, oh, my God, the guy looks absolutely ripped. And uh, he's probably still not all the way there in terms of his physical prime. But didn't he look good? He looks ready to go. He, he really does. But again, like you said, he's young. He's been skating. It's not like he. Uh, it's not like he doesn't go to the gym once in a while. Probably too. You know, he's uh, he's in good shape. So the only thing that's missing is is uh, playing at game speed. And a few practices this week, he's up to speed, and uh, he'll be fine Thursday night. I'm I'm actually expecting big things from him. Based on other than William Nylander, I think it was was it Ian Mendez did an article about holdouts and what kind of stats yes. they put up after they come back, and really nobody came back flat other than Nylander. Like most most of these guys just slip right in and boom, uh, they start producing right away. I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to, to to seeing how he how he performs right away come Thursday night. Yeah, I haven't looked at Ian's article in a few weeks, but we did talk about that. Because that's all we talked about for the last half of the summer. <laughs> yeah. When's Brady going to sign? What's going to happen when he does? Uh, and some of the names that Ian threw out there of guys that held out through at least a part of training camp, if not all, uh, that would include the likes of Matthew Barzal, and Gabriel Landeskog, Patrick Laine, Matthew Kachuk, and they all were like all yeah. around a point a game. So I think yep. it's a different deal, though, Greg, if you are 32 and not like Kachuk, who's 22. You don't find many 32-year-olds holding out, though, either, do you, right? True. So this is kind of a – it's right in the wheelhouse. Age-wise, coming off the entry level, this is kind of a, a tactic that, that players go through. And it seems like, despite what we may have heard, both sides are saying, look, there was never any real animosity. We just had to work out some things. And and from what they worked out, it looks like you might say the Senators won on length. You might say – uh, Brady won on money, so let's call it a wash, and and we're all good to go. What about the captaincy then? Pierre Dorian said in the intermission with TSN's James Duthie in the Dallas game, Pierre said, we'll take our time. We're going to do it at some point. What exactly is that about? Like, why not do it on Thursday night when everybody wants it? Yeah, I found that strange. Like, what what, what are you waiting for? Uh, um is the PR department working on some new video that they want to put out that comes with it? Are they working on the, on the exact speeches and how it's going to work for this presentation or where they're going to do it? Or, you know, I just, just do it for crying out loud. What are we waiting for? I don't, I don't understand that. When he said that, I was a little, I was a little taken aback by that wondering what exactly they're up to there. Yeah. Same. I would be okay with one name. Now don't get me wrong. Brady Kachuk is absolutely my choice. But I was reminded here in the first three games how much I like Connor Brown. I yeah, really yeah. think that you would not go wrong with Connor Brown. He's my second choice. Thomas Shabbat is my third. Most people are Shabbat or Kachuk. Most people are Kachuk, number one. But Connor Brown had three points against Dallas out there at the important times in the game, killing penalties at the end of games, protecting leads. The guy just is everything as, as a coach, everything you want a player to be and just leadership all day long in terms of the lead-by-example scenario. So the Sens could do a lot worse than Connor Brown, couldn't they? Oh, for sure. He is the 
he's the quintessential Swiss Army knife utility uh, uh, player who plays in any and all situations. And it's nice to see the offense sort of continuing. You know, some people might have thought last year is a blip, possibly even me. Um, but it's nice to see, right? He's he's producing. He definitely has chemistry with with uh, Connor Brown, or sorry, with Connor Brown, with Nick, Nick Paul, and and playing with Shane Pinto. Uh, you can't go wrong there. Like you've got a, a kid who plays the exact sort of game that Connor Brown plays, just always in the right place at the right time. Um, it, it's only going to get better. Stutzler slides in there. Paul moves down. I assume to play with Tierney and Formanton, and uh, you know eventually you've got Watson and Ennis to worry about there in your third line. But it all bodes well moving forward. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. Connor Brown is definitely a captain candidate here. You mentioned Chris Tierney as we move to review the Dallas game. It's a 3-2 win over the Dallas Stars, and Chris Tierney ends up with two goals in the game. He's got three on the season already, and nothing with a stick blade yet. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> he had one off his skate. He had one off his jock against Dallas, and then a second one in the game. This one, I think, it looked initially like it hit his stick blade. I slowed it down a couple of times because I was really curious. First, it hits his stick, and then it hits his skate blade, and then it volleys up in the air uh, over top the Dallas goalie off the post and in. So technically, I don't think he's really got a shot when it comes to either three, because uh, they're deflections effectively. And so, um, I mean, when you're Chris Tierney, though, you don't ask you know, any questions about descriptions. You just take that all the way. And this is another good start. He had a good start last year and a good start this year. It's funny. I did the same thing, Steve. As soon as the, well, when he scored the first goal against Dallas, I thought, okay, that didn't go in off his stick. And then the next goal again off his, but hey, two power play goals from Chris Tierney. Holy smokes. Like that's your second power play unit. Tierney, a Sanford on the ice with them. I thought, found it interesting that, but both times it was uh, early in the game. um, It was four forwards and one D on both units. Like that second unit was, was Tierney, Sanford, help me out. I'm forgetting now. Um, um, Ennis, Ennis, and and he, he, Brown. Yeah, I remember Ennis the in the ice. bumper position. Or, yeah, yeah, and, and Pinto's on the ice with that unit too. Like, like they're just there's different bodies they can use there. And the other thing is, it's a whole different look, right? You don't have the snipers in Batherson and Stutzla, so it's a different look and it's a different way to score goals on the on the power play. It's outnumbering uh, in front of the net. It's it's the hack and whack and the rebounds, which were both of those goals. Um, that's totally different look from the other unit. The other unit is more of a precision touch pass, one timer backside empty net kind of fired into a, an empty net off a, of a one tee. So it's it's nice that they have that option. And then when that unit's clicking, that's even better. So now you're you've actually got two units that that should be able to produce goals. Assuming the second unit is going to continue to to go with this, it's not going to go with this clip, but it's it, it's at least a threat to to put some points on the board. That was the first win over a non-Canadian team. It's the first game against a non-Canadian oh, team since going back before COVID nineteen first hit. That's amazing to me. I guess the the day they shut down the NHL or the day before one of the two, the Sens were in LA. I think the last game was against the LA Kings. And uh, that is a long, long time ago. And it was actually quite refreshing. I got to be honest that uh, they took on a non-Canadian team today. (laughs) We go back and we had conversation about it. What's this not, what's this North division going to be like? What's all Canadian only divisional rivals through an entire 56 game schedule. 
I thought that would really ramp up all the rivalries. I thought it'd be good for hockey. And again, I'm further galvanized in how wrong I was based on seeing <laughs> Dallas come in and just seeing a new, fresh team. What did you think of that? Yeah, it got, it got boring in a hurry watching the same Canadian teams over and over, didn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, it's their first win against a non-Canadian team since whenever. It's also their first game against a non-Canadian team since whenever. <laughs> like, like you sound like you're a baseball guy quoting some of their ridiculous stats they come up with. Um, no, I, I love it. And, and But it, it brings up a point. You said it's nice to see a, a non-Canadian team. It's nice to see a different team, right? But I've always hated the fact that the home team has gone to dark in the NHL, dark jerseys. So every single night that you go to see a Senators game, it's the black team versus the white team, right? You never get to see the, the colors of the road jerseys or what should be the road jerseys of the opposition. When the old days, when it was the home team was in white, the visitors came in and it was white versus pick your color. You know, you got to see different things. It's just, it's boring now. It's black against white every night. The game also marked the Sens' debut of one Michael Delzato. He got into the lineup as Victor Mete was given the night off. He had a tough night Saturday night, as did uh, Nikita Zaitsev in the loss to the Leafs. So Mete watches from the press box, and Michael Delzato is in. Um, I didn't think he was bad. I thought he was fine. I don't know that he added a lot. Uh, he had a nice outlet pass that kind of helped spring mm -hmm. Tim Stutzel on a nice two-on-one year the end of the game and boy is Stutzless he seems to be snake bitten he for I mean if he can start maybe getting a decent shooting percentage going because he creates a lot but doesn't seem to finish a lot maybe we'll talk about that in a moment but what did you think of Del Zotto tonight yeah I, he was okay I think that's the word you use there he was okay a bit of a mix-up on down low coverage on the first goal um, Del Zotto kind of had his guy and it wasn't his fault like he came across the crease with his guy and stayed with his man uh, Nick Holden went to the wrong side of the net and Chris Tierney was way too slow. He kind of cruised through the slot and went down the wrong side of the net, left a guy wide open in front. Uh, Mete essentially, while well, he was, he was minus three on Saturday night, as was Zaitsev, as you alluded to. So one of them was coming out. It's not going to be Zaitsev. So it made sense for Mete to come out. Um, they each played like Del Zotto played about 17 minutes against Dallas and Mete played about 17 and a half versus Toronto. So basically just one in, one out, same sort of roles, uh, maybe a little bit more PK time uh, in the case of Mete, but yeah, he was okay. Uh, just okay. I, the thing about Del Zotto is that, I mean, anything that he can bring to the table, I find it's muted a little by just how I dismiss him because of the heavy feet right away. Every time I see him skate, it's just not there. It's not as fluid. Even like when I compare him to Josh Brown, like Josh Brown seems to have better feet out there. And by the way, a nice fight right out of the gate with Jamie sure. Ben. That was a bit out of the blue. I didn't think Jamie Ben would be taking on scraps with five and six defensemen in the first period of hockey games, but maybe felt like they needed a little, a little jolt, a little, uh, little pick me up. But with Del Zotto, I just look at uh, that skating right now and I go, Oof, that's just not NHL level to me. Yeah, very heavy, very heavy feet. Uh, I, I, I understand you're saying with Josh Brown, but I still think uh, uh, Del, Del Zotto is probably a slightly better skater than Josh Brown. Um, I, I think that it, it also depends on who he's playing with too, right? Like the, what you want from Del Zotto or 
what would be a Delzato's strength would be, would be puck moving, would be apparently moving his feet, would be leading rushes, would be running a power play. You're going to trump him out there or trot him out there, sorry, with Holden. That kind of changes his role. That's why I, we talked about this, the square peg and a round hole to start the season or at least start training camp where they were talking about Delzato being the shutdown pair with Zaitsev. That just made no sense. Uh, Michael Delzato may end up being a guy here who's never really going to fit in because he's not going to get slotted properly, either with the right partner or playing the right kinds of minutes. So it, it'd be something to keep an eye on anyway. Is Stutzler going to, just to get back to where we were talking yeah. before about Tim Stutzler and finishing, because opportunity after opportunity is created, um, is he going to maybe get her going pretty soon? Like, is he, I mean, is this guy really a scorer is my question. I mean, he's still a kid, uh, and he certainly sets up all kinds of neat stuff and creates opportunity. Is he a, is he a true finisher? And I'm, I'm not worried yet. He's way too young to worry about, but just watching again tonight, just going, okay, just bury something, man. Is he going to get it going? Yeah. yeah, he's he's got too good a shot, too quick a release. He's got the deceptive release, too, where the, the hand position versus the upper body position, it's where's that shot going to go? He has that deception, um, maybe not to the same degree, but if you watch a lot of Austin Matthews goals, he has that where he, he brings the hands in closer to the body or they're further from the body, and it's like you don't know when he's going to shoot, when the release is coming. So Stutzla has that. He has a goal scorer's hands. He just hasn't had a goal scorer's touch for the for the first few games here, right? Yeah. Um, man, he did the, the the one play you alluded to with the, the Victor Mete pass and the two on one through the neutral zone. Delzato, or Delzato, sorry. Um, the 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 speed that he generated through the neutral zone, the pass to Batherson being slightly off, and the Drake takes it off his back foot with you know piece of cake onto his forehand, off the back foot onto his stick, and then the sauce pass back to Stutzla. Just the, the skill level alone here has just been raised and raised and raised over the last, the last course, the last couple of seasons. It'll come. Stutzel's going to score goals. But then again, he's changing. He's probably going to play Thursday night with, with uh, Brown and uh, Pinto. So who knows? What type of goals do you score when you're playing with those two guys versus the type of goals you're going to score playing with Norris and Batherson? It remains to be seen. Well, Pinto and Brown. Um... You know, you don't think of them right away as the elite on the team, but based on the first three games, they're creating as much offense as anybody on this team right now. So I don't think you'll take too big a, a step backward. Um, I want to talk about a couple other things. Um, yeah, we mentioned the Josh Brown-Jamie Ben fight in the first period. Those were some haymakers. Those boys mm -hmm. can fight. Some really heavy bombs thrown. And Jamie Ben, like, just talk about laying in the weeds you know, reacting entirely like a exclusively a right-hander, got your left hand on Josh Brown's jersey and, and working with your right, and then all of a sudden switching to the left and catching Josh Brown completely off guard. Uh, that was uh, that was an impressive fight, I got to say, for a guy that's won a heart trophy. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't see too many anymore that are like two heavyweights, but, but not, what's the right word? Not like designated fighters. You know, like just two tough guys uh, having a fight. It was, it was, it was good. <laughs> we should, probably shouldn't be saying, saying this, right? We should be saying, oh no, no fighting, no fighting. But I enjoyed it. It's a good fights and nice and early in the game too, huh? Gets everybody awake and into the game and excited. It was all right. Good to see. Yeah. 
Did he win a Hart Trophy? I know he won an Art Ross, but I'm trying to remember if he won the Hart. Yeah, or you, not. you said it. I let you get away with it. <laughs> don't worry. So somebody not, will tweet not the us. Hart winner. I don't know. Somebody will tweet us. Well, you'll get All a right. correction eventually. I'm looking it up right now. Is what I'm going to do. Okay. Uh, I, I, I refuse to allow this to stand. It will not stand, ladies and gentlemen. So looking Definitely up the Hart Trophy. Uh, Hart Trophy. No, he did not win the Hart Trophy. He only won the Art Ross, which ain't bad. My point is, super skilled player. You got to be a fairly skilled player to win the Art Ross, which is your scoring title. Um, and then to be able to have the, the the pugilistic skills that he showed there, I was very impressed. I got to say, there was a um, there was a certain guy that played in Detroit for a long time who won some Art Ross trophies, and he was known to fight every once in a while too. You know. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah. That'd be Gordy Howe for you uh, <laughs> folks under under the age of 35. Uh, uh, that'd be the guy. And, and elbows all day long. Elbows all day long. What a weird situation, just wrapping up our conversation about the Dallas-Ottawa game. Parker Kelly in the third period, sitting on the bench, and like he's done a million times in his hockey career, leaps over the boards. And while he does so on this particular occasion, his skate blade slices... The, well, I don't, I don't know what kind of damage it did. It, it injured the wrist of the linesman who's up on the board sitting there. And he just, I, I guess Parker Kelly didn't notice that. Like, have you ever seen anything like that happen? Freakish, huh? No, totally. I've never have. Um, I can tell you, though, that it's common. We always say, hey, heads up, stripes. As somebody's jumping the boards, there's often a linesman right in front of your bench. Uh, it's, hey, heads up, stripes, as we're jumping over the wall. Right. Um, and, and, of course, it's different from... Most of our listeners whose experience playing the game would be men's league or coaching kids. Of course, at pro, junior, we, we jump, right? You jump on and you walk off, right? So it's a totally different scenario on a bench uh, in, a, in a higher level like that. So they're always jumping. So linesmen are always there. So I, I just wonder if maybe, like you said, he just didn't see them and, and there was no, hey, coming through here, Liney, something. Because uh, there was no reaction whatsoever until afterwards. I mean, it almost looked like like a bee sting. You know, all of a sudden you look down and go, oh, something happened to my hand there. Yeah. Oh, and it was a bad slice. But speaking of uh, injuries and wrists, mm-hmm. I was quite concerned about Tim Stutzla from oh, that yeah. slash. Holy smokes. That looked bad. Yeah, that was Foxa. Basically, sledgehammer style off a face-off right down on the wrist of... Uh, of Stutzland, he, I don't know, it looked like he was in a bad way, but he came out for the third and looked just fine, as we talked about, had a great scoring chance in the third. There was another one, too, Josh Norris, taking a slapper from Zaitsev. And now, it wasn't directly off. Zaitsev was down the right wing on the half boards, and he's taking a slap shot, and one of the Dallas Stars defenders basically got his stick in the way, and it ramped off the stick and right into the head of Josh Norris. Initially, that looked really bad as well. And it got me to wondering, and I tweeted this out, it's amazing that well over half of the NHL's history was played without helmets. Think how oh, yeah. Josh Norris would have been without a helmet tonight. Yeah, yeah. And there's a snake bit. Should he not have scored a goal? He should have scored the first goal of the game. He yeah. should have opened the scoring there when he was all alone in the blue paint and just good, strong stick by the Dallas defender and allowing Hudobin enough time to get over and kind of basically scoop it off the goal line. But that's another guy who got snake bit tonight.
Now, speaking of missing opportunities, Drake Batherson in the Toronto game on Saturday, uh, he appeared to tie the game at two, and it was uh, it basically looked like it was the only thing they were reviewing potentially was maybe that he kicked it in or something like that, and then we realized, oh, no, it's an offside challenge from what happened moments before. So that goal comes off the board, and now it's still 2-1, and the Leafs go on uh, with a bunting goal to polish it off a 3-1 victory on Saturday night. But I don't know. I'm, I'm so done with the offside challenge. Yeah. I think it's just a ridiculous scenario. Um, I'll, I'll let you have, because uh, I've been blathering here. So where are you at with the offside challenge? <laughs> well, I, 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 as soon as it happened, I, I knew that's what it was going to be. I could just, yep, he was offside. But I, I, I said it while I was watching the game uh, at home here. So like, when it's like a millimeter or like a centimeter, can we just say, screw it? Like, who cares? Exactly. You know, if it's less than an inch, who cares? Well, let's just get on with it. So I uh, so I guess what I'm saying is that maybe we should just remove the whole stupid thing. Like, yeah. it's all an overreaction to one goal. Matt Duchesne, that's it. Yeah. And it's a complete overreaction. Actually, there was one other one that came up, and I don't remember it now, but there was maybe two times that were big enough and bad enough that, oh my God, we've got to do this. No, you don't. Just leave yeah. it alone. It's silly. The, the reason offside exists, just to give uh, the good listener a history lesson here and not sound obnoxious or anything, it exists because in the 1920s, they brought in the forward pass in the NHL. And when they did that for the first time, suddenly it was a tactic to basically go stand beside the opponent's net and let somebody ice the puck down to you by yourself. They wanted to prevent that. That is all that offside is trying to prevent. It's not trying to prevent this nonsensical ticky-tack garbage that they keep pulling exciting goals off the board for. Like, I don't understand. Like, that Batherson goal was, was uh, you know, it, an exciting moment in the game, and you, you should be trying to find ways to keep exciting moments in the game, yeah, not yeah. get them out. And it, and, let, and don't get me wrong, I have no problem with the referee's call. It's the rule I have an issue with, having that be challengeable. People say that to me all the time. It's like, well, it was offside. What do you want? It's like, what I want is you, for you to just go ahead and try and call offside the best you can with the linesman. And if, if it doesn't work out and they miss it and you go back and look at video, slow it down to one one thousandth of a second, well then it really wasn't that big an advantage for the scoring team anyway. Again, it was designed, offside was, to prevent guys from standing in the slot area by themselves while the play is at the other end of the ice. It wasn't designed to be ticky-tack. Um, and, and to me, like the, the, the game of hockey is at least partially about honor. And that looks weaselly to me. I hate it. I hate it yeah. so much. And if you're championing the offside challenge and you love it and you think it should stay... Why aren't you championing the myriad of other infractions that you could potentially challenge? Maybe a trip, maybe a cross check to the face, um, whatever, something the referee missed before a goal was scored, any time in the minute before a goal was scored. Why aren't you championing reviews all over the place for all the other infractions? Because they're way more a part of a goal being scored and way more part of something being unfair than the offside is. Okay. I better Touché. get off the soapbox. No, that's fine. That's fine. I agree with you. It's like you say, it was to stop goal sucking or net hanging. And, and it's not like they gained some incredible advantage because he was a millimeter offside. Like just let it. And, and to be clear, 
I want this for everyone. The goal could have been the other way around. It could have been Mitch Marner, and I'd be saying the same thing. The millimeter or the centimeter or the inch, it doesn't matter to me. It's close enough. He waved it off. Fine by me, right? All the rest of us, other than the National Hockey League, and I don't know, do they even have it in the O? Do they have it in Major Junior on offside? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I don't know either. But I'm thinking a good probably 90% of the hockey played in the world, it's... There is no such thing as an offside video review, right? Your men's league, your kids' league, anything and everywhere else. We, we get along just fine. Every once in a while, okay, it's probably got screwed. So what? Move on. Yeah. Turn the page. Exactly. All right. I'm glad we're on the same page on that. I, uh, death, death to offside challenge. Um, in the game, though, the loss to Toronto, 3-1. to one. I honestly didn't think it was dramatically different than the other two games, which turned out to be victories. The two cents victories, pucks were going in. In Toronto, pucks were not going in. They had a lot of good chances in in Toronto, and the pucks just weren't going in for them. I don't know. What did you think of the game, the 3-1 loss to the Leafs? Well, I thought, you know, it's Toronto's home opener. Um, Your your expectation to win is is drops because of that. Uh, There may be a couple things to take out of that, but the shots might have been similar, but the shot attempts were heavily in favor of the of the Leafs. Uh, Faceoffs was probably a concern. I think it was well over sixty percent to the Leafs in that game. Um, But yeah, I mean, it it was it was a pretty good road game. They just couldn't finish. They didn't score when they had some chances. I don't know that at any point during the game I thought to myself, "Oh, hey, you know, they're close here. They could come back and win this." I never really got that feeling. It just seemed like the Leafs were ahead and they were going to stay ahead and it was going to end that way. So, yeah, home opener in Toronto. You went in, you gave a good effort. You you, uh, you worked hard, you came home, and you won the next day. So turn the page, move on again, I guess. That's that's kind of where I'm at on it anyway. Did, yeah. you, did you think they had a shot at it? Did you think they were they were in it? Well, if Batherson's goal stands, it's 2-2. And it could sure. change the complexion of that game. And, uh, again, I, I thought they had tons of chances like bury a couple but uh no i think they just uh had one of those nights where the other goalie just had his you know what together and uh no i, I right. my point is that even though that was a loss and the other two were wins uh, i didn't i didn't find dramatic differences in any of the three games like oh they were super right. flat and they were super awesome in the other two no i think there's still even though they get off to a nice two and one start what else can you ask for especially when you're without your captain or the guy will likely be their captain. I think you uh, you take that to the bank and run. But I, I think there's uh, still tons of room for that team to get better. Yeah, and and like you lost a game, but you didn't lose seven to one, right? right. It wasn't uh, wasn't last winter out in the West Coast trip at the start of the year. You lost a game three one. Your goals against is is very respectable so far this season. Your goaltending's been great. I think Gustafson was phenomenal against Dallas, like really yeah. strong. Um, I got, they look good. They're, they're playing the same game they were playing at the end of last season. And out of it, you've got a record of two and one. And I think you're going to do very well against San Jose uh, coming up this week. You should be, should be three and one heading into the weekend. Yeah. I thought Gustafson, I didn't talk. I, I should have brought Gustafson up. That was his season debut. We did not expect to be seeing him this early. Uh, I think that if I had to pick a goalie right now, that I would want. If you told me I could only keep one in the whole organization, Gustafson would be that guy. And uh, I just, I feel like he, he has a calmness, a steadiness about him. But I will say this, that I thought on that second goal by Pavelski that made it close. 
that brought it to three, two, uh, I thought he shedded the paddle down. Like, uh, it was basically a wraparound scenario. And instead of like trying to tuck it in, it was a pass through the crease and Gustafson seemed maybe a, I don't know, a little too relaxed on that thing. We all knew the guy was going behind the net and Gustafson got a late charge on it and probably should have had that paddle down to take away either, you know, a stuff in attempt or the pass that came across the, the middle as it did and ended up on the stick of Pavelski and uh, cutting the lead to three, two. Yeah. So like if he, if he backs up and goes post to post and gets across to his right post with a paddle down, the puck never comes across the crease is what you're saying. I can exactly. see that. Yeah. And then it, it ended up going off of, uh, I don't even remember now one skate, then Shabbat skate, then in, then sat there for Pavelski to whack it in. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's not a bad point. I mean, my, my take on it was, I'm a defenseman defending down the left side as Shabbat was, and he got beat wide and around the net. That shouldn't happen either. Like, it's not like, oh, okay, I kept him to the outside. No, no, he should not be beating you down and around the net either. You need to turn and cut him off long before he gets to that point. So right. that you want to back it up even further. That's a bit of a of a misstep uh, late in the game. He's tired, bad feet. I don't know what it was, but normally that's a play where Shabbat's going to turn and and get his stick on puck there, and it's not going to happen. Where nobody's even going to get by him and around him and down low and come out the other side. Yeah, I thought the same. Um, and they had they had good numbers. It wasn't like there was an odd man mm-hmm. rush scenario. If uh, if Shabbat is maybe a little physical, and and I forget exactly who had the puck as they were coming down the right wing and swooped around the net. Um, if he is maybe a little more physical there, but he just kind of let him do his thing and roller derby it around the net. And, uh, well, bad things happened after that. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to see Sportsnet. They made their season debut as far as regular season stuff goes. Uh And maybe they've done this in the preseason. I'm not sure. But in the intermission. Okay. So in the intermission, what we've seen in the past where they've got two separate desks, half the people are online on a Zoom call by the look of it. And it was a bit of a mishmash. And I was curious to know what they do now that COVID is less an issue. It's not gone. It's less of an issue now. Everybody was in studio and they did a round table. We always talk, well, you and I are, you know, if we had a couple more people here, we'd call it a round table. Well, they literally had a round table. So it was (laughs) Kelly Rudy, Kevin Bieksa, Jennifer Botterill, and Ron McClain. Just the four of them. Like they're playing cards at a poker table. And the Zooms... The camera was like all over the place, zooming in, zooming out, trolleying left, panning right. It was like just cameraman or director, whoever's responsible, like just just put your freaking camera on somebody. It was neat at the start, and then but they did it for the entire 15 minutes or however long they were on camera. Boy, I was thinking they're going to need to do some new things for this season. And I would say on night one, Half of Canada had vertigo watching that thing. Sheesh. You're on fire today, Steve. <laughs> it was a, it was an oval table, but I'll I'll tell you something. I had a game, right? So I watched it on PVR later, but okay. I had already seen your tweet about like you were nauseous and puking or something during this during this intermission. So I was sort of prepared for it. And at one point, you could even see the camera guy in behind Ron between him and Botterill holding because it's one of those hold it up cameras it seems to float like a hovercraft that they walk around with right you could see the guy in the one shot and they just kept rolling around and around and then oh bx is speaking now so the guy's got to run around to the other side of the table and then zero in on bx and yeah it was like could we not just i don't know 
but then again, four people sitting at a desk. I'm not a big fan of when they when they turn and look into the camera. Like I'm looking at you, you ask me a question, and then I'm speaking to you, but I turn and look into the camera to give my response. I'm not a big fan of that. So in that sense, that part's right. kind of been removed from this. They were sitting at the table having a conversation with each other, and they could look at each other while they did it. So, okay, you've got that part as a plus, but now you got to figure out how to work the camera so that it doesn't look quite so helter-skelter and nauseating right. and dizzying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I think they got to work on that. And you're talking about these camera stabilizers. They're called gimbals. Yeah, and that's they're it. Ama- they're pretty amazing. They are pretty amazing and everything, just the steady cam of it all. But uh, um, I thought it was neat at the start, you know, <laughs> over the shoulder, quick zoom in, but just talk about doing something to excess where it was just distracting me from the content. And that, the content is king. That And the content is always fine. It's just... Uh, uh, that that was a weird start, I thought, for Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, let's close it out today. Uh, we should sure. finish up with where we're uh, where we're where we're feeling. I've been a guy that is, and I've been back and forth on this. I've been feeling playoffs this year. You have you're you're with the majority, though. I think that uh, you, you're feeling like this probably isn't the Sens' year. Two and one start to the year. You've seen three games now. You know Brady Kachuk's coming back. Matt Murray's not in the lineup. Um, any changes in your thought process? Are you still on an even keel, heading to not make the playoffs? Uh, they're, they're not going to make the playoffs. They, they look good, though. Like, I, I didn't expect them to be terrible. I expected them to compete every night, and it looks like that's what they're going to do. I'm I'm still interested in seeing how they look when the full lineup is here. Like, when Watson's back and healthy, how do you slot him in? When Paul drops down, that brings a lot, lot more difficult third line to play against. Um, even your fourth line is going to be better just by the return of Kachuk and Stutzla dropping and, and Watson coming back. Um, I, I, the blue line is nowhere near strong enough to contend for a playoff spot. I'm sorry. Uh, but, uh, hey, but, hey, they're behind the uh, 2-0 and Buffalo Sabres in the standings, though, Steve. So they got yeah. a lot of work cut out, you know, to catch up to those Buffalo Sabres. You just never know. Yeah, it's a dumb question when you think about it because <laughs> if the Buffalo Sabres are 2-0, and then we know that, um, we need to we need to preface everything with it's way too early to be talking about this. It's a nice start though, and good to see. I want to remind everybody that our website is sensnationhockey.com. We've done a retool. We've done an upgrade on the website. Looks kind of nice. Very white now. Very white, but it looks good. Um, very. Uh, yeah, how shall I describe this? Eh, white. It's white. Very slick. I think it looks slicker. But very white for sure. Okay. Maybe we'll put, we get some we we'll get a splash of color in there. But uh, yeah, there you can find all kinds of cool stuff. You can find how you can uh, join up with our Facebook group, a private Sens Nation Facebook group. We got the YouTube channel. We've got the Sens Nation Journal with some great articles. Pat McGuire, Kyle Skinner with our latest ones. Kachuk's New Deal shaping the organizational landscape and top five early season Sens storylines to monitor. So you want to check that out as well as an archive of our podcasts of the past. So again, it's sensnationhockey.com. That will do it for this week's show. Thank you, Greg. As always, great stuff. And uh, I understand it was like, yeah, you had to coach him up. I won't get into details because you gave me some gory (laughs) details about what you're dealing with with your junior hockey club, but uh, good luck coaching them up this week. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, we had had an unscheduled practice thrown in in the middle of a Sunday afternoon. Uh, Just, yeah, every once in a while you gotta you gotta do something like that, don't you? We'll yep. be okay. 
good old-fashioned tune-up. All right, well, we'll take our leave, and we'll be joining you uh, later in the week as we get ready for the Sens and the San Jose Sharks. It'll be kind of a cool thing to see Carlson rip the, uh, uh, you know, see off one of his old Sens jerseys and hand it over to Kachuk, right? Huh? huh? Maybe that's Something? what we're waiting Maybe. for. I doubt it. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye now. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SensNationHockey.com.